Hello, and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Recommended for children of any age. (laughs) Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. You're listening to a podcast that was the 12th most popular arts podcast in Malta. So maybe you're in Malta right now. If you're in Malta, shout out. Yeah, send us an email if you're in Malta listening to Close Talking. That would be pretty cool. Please do. And if you could maybe buy us a pair of tickets to get to Malta, I would love to go and visit. Check out the poetry scene. (laughs) Yeah, that would be cool. And failing that, leave a rating and review on iTunes. You know, okay, one or the other. All right. Tickets to Malta, write a rating and review on iTunes, roughly of equal value in terms of, uh, you know, our sentiments. Apropos of nothing that we just said, we have a great uh, non poem today. Or is it a poem? Or it's a bit of text. It's a bit of writing, but it's also a bit of not writing. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, it's it's a poem. It's a poem. It's a it's poem. a poem. But it might also not be a poem, or it might yeah. be a non-poem, or it might be. It's a prose piece that's a poem. That's a piece of writing that's not writing. That's also a list. I've got that, so many questions. I'm it's very excited. Got, okay, there's a lot going on. the 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 thing which might not be a thing is called not writing. It's by. Anne Boyer, who is a marvelous writer. This piece uh, came out in her book, Garments Against Women, which um, is one of my personal favorite titles for a book. Um, That came out in 2015. Um, She has since written numerous other books. Some are also kind of lyric prose poem essay type collections. Um, the most recent of which of that is a handbook of disappointed fate, which is wonderful. And she also wrote a nonfiction book 
The book is called The Undying, Pain, Vulnerability, Mortality, Medicine, Art, Time, Dreams, Data, Exhaustion, Cancer, and Care. Came out in 2019, and it won the Pulitzer Prize for general nonfiction. Um, yeah. And a let me just say, a fairly prophetic subject to be tackling in 2019, and what foresight from the Pulitzers to award it. <laughs> Yes. No, absolutely. And yeah, and that book is is loosely about she uh, Boyer herself was was diagnosed with um, very extreme form of breast cancer um, and was about it's kind of about her care. But then it's also about the politics of care in a precarious age, which has, as Jack has alluded to, only become ever more precarious uh, since the spread of COVID-19. Um, but even, uh, yeah, even as early there, I don't know. Um, there are a lot of themes that I think are also kind of present in this piece. Um, the the specifics of, of viruses and illness and care less so, but um, a lot of the questions around work and writing. This is Not Writing by Anne Boyer. When I am not writing, I am not writing a novel called 1994 about a young woman in an office park in a provincial town who has a job cutting and pasting time. I am not writing a novel called Nero about the world's richest art star in space. I am not writing a book called Kansas City Spleen. I am not writing a sequel to Kansas City Spleen called Bitches Maldoror. I am not writing a book of political philosophy called Questions for Poets. I am not writing a scandalous memoir. I am not writing a pathetic memoir. I am not writing a memoir about poetry or love. I am not writing a memoir about poverty, debt collection, or bankruptcy. I am not writing about family court. I am not writing a memoir because memoirs are for property owners and not writing a memoir about prohibitions of memoirs. When I am not writing a memoir, I am also not writing any kind of poetry. Not prose poems, contemporary or otherwise, not poems made of fragments, not tightened and compressed poems, not loosened and conversational poems, not conceptual poems, not virtuosic poems employing many different types of euphonious devices, not poems with epiphanies, and not poems without, not documentary poems about recent political moments, not poems heavy with allusions to critical theory and popular song. I am not writing Leaving the Atosha Station by Anne Boyer, and certainly not writing Nadja by Anne Boyer, though would like to write Debt by Anne Boyer, though am not writing also the German ideology by Anne Boyer and not writing a screenplay called Spartacists. I am not writing an account of myself more miserable than Rousseau. I am not writing an account of myself more innocent than Blake. I am not writing epic poetry, although I like what Milton said about lyric poets drinking wine, while epic poets should drink water from a wooden bowl. I would like to drink wine from a wooden bowl, 
or to drink water from an emptied bottle of wine. I am not writing a book about shopping, which is a woman shopping. I am not writing accounts of dreams, not my own or anyone else's. I am not writing historical reenactments of any durational literature. I am not writing anything that anyone has requested of me or is waiting on. Not a poetics essay or any other sort of essay. Not a round table response. Not interview responses. Not writing prompts for younger writers. Not my thoughts about critical theory or popular songs. I am not writing a new constitution for the republic of no history. I am not writing a will or a medical report. I am not writing Facebook status updates. I am not writing thank you notes or apologies. I am not writing conference papers. I am not writing book reviews. I am not writing blurbs. I am not writing about contemporary art. I am not writing accounts of my travels. I'm not writing reviews for the new inquiry and not writing pieces for triple canopy and not writing anything for fence. I am not writing a daily accounting of my reading activities and ideas. I am not writing science fiction novels about the problem of the idea of the autonomy of art and science fiction novels about the problem of a society with only one law, which is consent. I am not writing stories based on Nathaniel Hawthorne's unwritten story ideas. I am not writing online dating profiles. I am not writing anonymous communiques. I am not writing textbooks. I am not writing a history of these times or of past times or of any future times and not even the history of these visions which are with me all day and all of the night. Okay. <laughs> that is not writing <laughs> by Han Boyer. That is a lot of writing about not writing. Whoa. <laughs> I've never not 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 written so much. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, this is one that I picked. It's it's funny. Um shout out to my friend uh and colleague and peer Will Harris, um, who's in the the grad program with me and is off uh writing and not writing uh wonderful things in equal measure. He uh lent me garments against women, um, probably around when it came out, I guess. Yeah, I loved the book. And this piece in particular, and I think this one kind of, I don't know if it made the rounds per se, but it kind of, I think had some, I, it was on, it was online. And I think, um, people who, a lot of people read it who, uh, may not have encountered the book. Um, and I think it probably was an access point for people who then got the book, um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, there's a lot to say. I mean, first of all, what are you not writing? <laughs> <laughs> like literally Jack, I am not writing so many things. It's really bad. I'm not writing. I'm not submitting. I'm, uh, I'm like, it's depressing. Um, I am cutting and pasting time a little bit. I would say that, um, 
that was a phrase from that the it's beginning, a good start. which, a good which start. I liked. Yeah, I mean, oh my goodness, there's a lot of there. Every day, I'm like, oh my god, poems. Would love to write some poems. I gra- I guess I graduated from the not to just really got me down a lane but i have i <laughs> yeah I, feelings yeah well yeah it's been like i guess four plus years since i was in the creative writing mfa for poetry um and since then i've done a lot more not writing it was in a way it's like the the program itself a a program itself is such a strange thing that the farther you get a I get away from it the more I'm like that really happened because it's like there's <laughs> never there's never any that there's never that much time to write than you have in a program like that and it's it's so rare um you kind of have to be just like you know an independently wealthy lord of some estate uh or a a, have a patron or something um it's interesting you mentioned that when i was at uh in journalism school one of my professors basically the last day of our class with him like the last class session we spent a bunch of it talking about like your writing life because it was a long-form narrative class and he was basically talking about all the ways that people find to structure their life when they want to do in the journalism space or even in just the nonfiction space more generally long form work, especially immersive type work. Um, so, you know, some of the stuff that we'd been reading, it was only a seven week class. It was half of a semester really. Um, but some of the stuff we were reading is like somebody who worked as a prison guard for a year and wrote a book about that or whatever. And a big message that he had was basically, how are you going to make money? And a lot of the people who do that kind of immersion work, like, one of them works at Home Depot. Like that's his day job and he leaves his job. He has not tried to have a an ex, a separate career. He works in like the garden center at Home Depot half the year and then he has enough money that he can take the rest of the time of the year to go in and bed somewhere or pursue these other like long form stories. And one of the things that he also mentioned was like maybe do an MFA, you'll have a ton of time to write and you can get fully funded. Like It'll help your writing and you'll also just have a lot of time to work on whatever your project <laughs> is. You know, like yeah. how how are you going to find the time to write was a big question. And I think it's one that, you know, everybody who does this work faces in some capacity, because even if you have a job that is directly related to thinking, especially of creative writing and poetry, even if you are a professor of poetry or literature or English or you're a high school teacher or whatever, like that's still gonna take a bunch of time and energy away from your writing so how do you balance a writing life it's tough (laughs) it is really tough and you never have as much time as you do probably in an mfa for just pure writing yeah right even when you're in the literary world there's also just so much labor and even writing that goes along with it that's not quote unquote the writing um which this piece, you know, I mean, it it covers a lot of things, but like, you know, book reviews and blurbs and all that stuff. And, and that's the kind of, I mean, uh, 
I suppose every un, unpublished poet and I am uh, or without a book, uh, which I am including myself in because that is indeed the case, hopes to have the problem of writing too many blurbs um, that they can't uh, write their own stuff. But um, no, it is. A, I mean, it's a constant problem and it, it is it's partly the problem of of being I mean, a writing is weird and hard, even as it's kind of a normal thing of work. And so it's like not some it's like both kind of work, but then it's also it is like requires a strange space that you have to get into, like a mindset. And that it like requires more than just having the time in a pure, like quantifiable sense. Uh, well, there are so many people who find ways to make time for their writing even when they've got a life that sounds to me like it's unimaginably busy in every conceivable way i mean i know i've mentioned a few times on the podcast the writer liz lens but she like she reported and wrote two books while being a single mom while getting divorced while working for her local paper while helping her state recover from natural disasters when she was going on like public doing the publicity for one of them like i i don't that's incredible and there are so many folks who have a story like that where it's like you know somebody who's a a single parent but they just get up for an hour or an hour and a half in the morning and that's when they write and like that's the and in some cases maybe that's the only real time to yourself during the day and so that's a great motivator or whatever but like i huge kudos to the folks who just find the time and find a way because it's tough and it's tough for them too. They it's usually just that they've kind of like found a, a rhythm or a a thing that works for them. But like, it's incredible (laughs) the way people get writing done. Yeah, Um, no, absolutely. And then the other thing, which I think is kind of the interesting, like, cause I, cause I feel like something that this piece is very, that I like too, is that, there's also like there's the time that you're not writing but you are but you kind of like it's necessary for the writing like it's not writing but it's it's not something else in a way like living one's life or being attentive to something um and th- and there's kind of I don't want to like immediately introduce like another <laughs> piece of hers but um tellingly in uh garments against women the piece that comes after this piece uh after not writing is a piece that's called what is not writing (laughs) um and basically it's like there are years days hours minutes weeks moments and other measures of time spent in the production of not writing not writing is working and when not working at paid work working at unpaid work like caring for others and when not at unpaid work like caring caring also for a human body and when not caring for a human body many hours weeks years and other measures of time spent caring for the mind in a way like reading or learning and 
when not reading or in learning, also making things, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's a very long, wonderful run on sentence. But there's this kind of um, it's both this. And maybe this is that maybe this is a wrong reading of it. But to me, I think there's 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 the kind of like work as work that which is what I was thinking of with the like, I am not writing book reviews or blurbs that it's like even the the quote unquote profession of someone who is a writer involves writing that is not writing, which is a book review or something like that. Um, there's that, but then there is also kind of like, it's kind of like all of life <laughs> in a way, but then it's all of life that is sort of under the systems that you're under, which is to say under capitalism at this point. And then it, and then it's kind of like this kind of thing where I don't know. And this is just kind of like my own sense as someone who writes some poetry from now and again. Um, although not, not for some time. Um, although I did do some revising earlier this year for a few hours. Um, but that's about it for the year. Anyway, that's um, still good. Look, when I was a little kid, <laughs> there was this radio program that my dad taped about drumming. And it was about all these different jazz drummers like Philly Joe Jones. And it was great. And it was hosted by Wynton Marsalis. And it was so cool. And there's these little bits wow. where they're like, or whatever. It was, it was great. But in it, I forget who it is, but one of these guys talks about uh, like the notion of practice basically and getting at this idea that like some you know young kids come in they're like oh i can't get regimented and like oh it's gonna take my soul away or whatever and the <laughs> the big idea that they were getting across is like it doesn't matter if you practice for five minutes that's five minutes more practice that you did than if you didn't practice for five minutes and that's kind of all that matters in terms of how you're thinking about practicing. Like you don't have to sit down and do drills for an hour, but if you walk past your drums and sit down and play for five minutes and practice, that's five more minutes of practice. You just got five minutes better, or you just had five minutes more of a good time, you know, like it's all good. True. True. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate that. I'm just saying a couple hours of revising. That's a couple more hours than if you hadn't spent a couple hours revising. That's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. So like it's a kind of interesting thing where like when you are like thinking of writing, there is the time when you're not writing that is brainstorming. It's like you're letting things simmer or like you're on the train or you're on the bus, you're taking a walk and you like see a little thing and it's like, whoa, I didn't know that raindrops sound like that in that way blah 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 and everyone has their you know whatever different process and, and all that stuff so one thing that i love about this piece and the book and boyer's work there's a lot of different elements to it but it's like something we've talked about sometimes is called like in poetry especially is like the idea of like a present absence where it's like we're we're talking about things that aren't there but they're they are there in their 
you know, in their absence, you know, a ghost or something like that is kind of like a haunting or a present absence or a trauma or something like that. So similarly, like the not writing, this kind of is embodying the the absence of writing in in a present way. Um, but then also it's like you're not writing, but writing is the thing that you're not doing. Like it's not not painting or it's like not not, um, you know, being like do it's not not doing heart surgery or like it's not it's not, the not doing... writing of a writer yeah yeah exactly exactly because like it particularly in the piece like you get these named pieces and she names herself and they yeah. are things that she has already written so of course she's not writing them now because she already wrote them <laughs> but that's a really strong way of saying i'm not writing but i'm a writer and i have written like yeah um, and yeah yeah and there's also like a kind of like, because there's moments that are like, I am not writing Leaving the Atosha Station by Anne Boyer, which is a novel by Ben Lerner, um, in which the character is very much like Ben Lerner. Um, and that's kind of like a, like she's never written nor going to <laughs> have written leaving the atosha station but it's kind of like a a little tongue-in-cheek reference to the kind of self-reflexive writing that ben lerner is emblematic of um both in that novel and in his later ones right it, no i think you're you're absolutely right and you you get a sense of like her concerns like boyer's concerns and writing life it's like i'm not writing reviews for the new inquiry triple canopy anything for fence it's like the new inquiry is like kind of a, a lefty artsy you know online journal um triple canopy does very experimental art and literature fence is a poetry journal all of the the references like she is based in kansas city and, you know, there's like Kansas City spleen or whatever. And um, it, it also like, what is she thinking about? It's like there's like Rousseau, Blake, Milton, um, critical theory in general, um, like Hawthorne. There's also like you get a sense of through what she's saying, she's not writing about you do get a sense of also like what is her life like or what are the constraints upon her life? and and this also like comes up in, in other parts of her writing, but like, um, you know, I'm not just like imposing the capitalism thing, but class and capitalism and work and money are, are a big part of her writing concerns. Um, and, you know, and she has this like, I am not writing a memoir about poverty, debt collection or bankruptcy. And then also like, um, you know, I'm not writing... Uh, though would like to write debt by Anne Boyer, which is a book by there is a book called debt. The first 5,000 years, which I am sort of guessing it's, it's referencing by David Graeber, which is like an amazing kind of account of the history and anthropology of debt. Um, and it's also kind of like a leftist manifesto ish kind of thing. 
Um, and so you get a you also get a sense of where Boyer is in the world um, and is dealing with. Um, and there's also like the very gendered kind of um, like patriarchy that she's inhabiting, um, like the kind of I am not writing uh, a book about shopping, which is a woman shopping um, and kind of like, you know, all this sort of like sexist co consumerism um, and consumption. But then it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting like that. That line actually comes up again and is repeated in the next piece what is not writing and then the next piece in the book is called a woman shopping and it's about i'm gonna write a long miserable novel that's called a woman shopping <laughs> not um, as miserable as her husband who's got to sit around outside with all the bags and hold the bags <laughs> and pay for everything and he's just oh it's even longer and more miserable <laughs> he's got a real bad getting dragged out by the old ball and chain i tell you what right now <laughs> Oh, oh, yes, I'm gonna uh, write a book uh, called, uh, you know, shopping about a man shopping, but he's not shopping. He's just, he's just at the mall. He's just a credit card with legs. <laughs> oh, dearie me! Yes, let it be known the two, the two men of close talking are, in <laughs> fact, characters on Mad Men who were written out. Yeah. Or any contemporary <laughs> comedian who hates their wife, which appears to be almost oh, yeah. every single one yes. of them, where they're just like, I, I got married and had kids and I hate every second of it. <laughs> That's funny, though, right? <laughs> yeah, sure, buddy. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> I made a choice and now I'm going to just critique all the choices that I look at because of the choice I made. My kids... More like, I hate these little humans that are in my house. It's like an infestation. <laughs> infestation of rugrats. Am I right? I mean, I don't know, man. What's your problem? Ugh. Yeah. Oh, but they're uh, being honest about how parenthood isn't all like rainbows and kisses and stuff. Like, yeah, okay, great cool why are they only dwelling on the part with like i'm tired and mad all the time <laughs> and i don't my wife won't won't sleep with me anymore because she had a baby <laughs> <laughs> listen jack before men knew about therapy yeah they went on stage and told jokes i hate to tell you connor even men who know about therapy have still made the choice to go on stage and tell jokes. <laughs> or they're like, I had to go to therapy because of my wife. Actually, now that we're on the subject of idiot dudes um, yeah. in in the, the, the arts, it's also true of, cool. of writers who are of supposed esteem. Mm -hmm. I remember I read... Um, I mean, Don DeLillo seems like he's written some okay, <laughs> okay stuff. So I just got to shit yeah, post sure, someone. Whatever. Who cares? Um, I, I but I, I've I, never been able to get through much of anything by him. I know people like him. I'm sorry. Not for me. I don't okay, know. I'll here, try again in light of this conversation. Everybody let us know what DeLillo we should be reading. Here's, here's what I, this is the beginning and the end of what I have to say about Don DeLillo. Yeah. The first half of White Noise is very 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 good the second half fairly 
uninteresting in my opinion. Then I read this book, Point Omega, that was began very interestingly. There was something in some museum in New York that slowed down the psycho shower scene so that it was like frame by frame for like 24 hours or something. And then the book is like this guy, like watching it or something. And it, but it, it and it's kind of like art criticism me, but it's like interesting and kind of like, oh, you're really thinking and sa- saying something. But then the rest of the book happens. And then it's just like this old guy goes to his place and is alone and just like hates his wife. It's just like, that's literally what happens. And then I just was reading other, and then I was like, oh yeah, that also happens in white noise where the guy's like, oh, I have to like kill my wife or something because of whatever. But then it's just like everything that Don DeLillo hits, like he has all these interesting ideas about like art and media and society and capitalism and blah, blah, blah. But then he's just so consumed by his misogyny that it's just all that interesting idea just funnels over time of the book to like a very boring hatred of women. That's like basically what I've gotten from Don DeLillo. So I think he actually he's kind of like a stand up comic in Mm. that way. Yeah. Half humorous critique of capitalism. Half (laughs) my wife, guys. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All I have to say is I've never made it through very much of any of his books. If people have suggestions, let me know. I'm willing to have an open mind, but it, it's so far, it hasn't been working for me. Read the first hundred, 150 pages of white noise and then put it down. I would say that that seems fine. The main thing is Amboyer is doing actual interesting incisive uh commentary and work here i am very interested in the fact that this poem is basically a list and it's a list that doesn't really change Mm. but it still works so i Mm. i think there's a lot of lists that masquerade as poetry but they're really just lists and those are like bad list poems that would be (laughs) perhaps in the vein of this where it's like i'm not writing about trees i'm not writing about autumn i'm not writing about a house in a glade i'm not writing about the road that leads to the house in the glade where the trees are whatever you know like it it doesn't break its formula and it becomes very uninteresting very quickly this is a pretty long poem and it doesn't really break its i'm not writing about formula because i think you half expect the end of it to be, I am writing about whatever, or I will write about whatever, or when I write again, it will be whatever. You expect the form to maybe break and there to be a turn at some point, if not way at the end, then maybe halfway through, oh, here's where it kind of reorients around a different thing. Like the theme gets flipped or interrogated in a different way. And that does happen, but not by breaking the form of the list. And in fact, the end of the poem kind of cuts off any possibility of breaking the form of the list. And I am really curious for your thoughts on that, because it seems to me like it's really easy to make a poem like this very uninteresting. 
<laughs> very quickly and this is a long poem that sustains interest and sustains thematic depth and in fact deepens thematically as it goes on while still holding to basically the same formula of listing how why why is it so successful at doing that <laughs> yeah that's a really 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 good question um i don't i don't know exactly i have my own thoughts on like how it progresses i suppose you know because it's interesting that you that because it is true that it's like if you like control f like i am not writing you'd get like 100 plus maybe actually would be interesting to see how many there are i'm doing it i'm doing it right, right now i am not writing 25 25 wow 25 i am not well it didn't pick up one of them for some reason so maybe more than 25 yeah okay more. there's way more than 25 because it's only picking up ones that are together within lines because of however Ooh. the spacing works on the poetry foundation website let's maybe call just, it dozens just, okay if i just look for not writing and okay. i don't think it's missing as many there i get 36 okay what about i am good question <laughs> I am 36. Okay. I think it's 36. No, because so, there's one that it didn't catch. 37, at least 37. At least 37 instances. Over 30, possibly up to 40. Your initial guess of 50 is sounding real good. <laughs> well, I think I said 100 plus. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> approximately anywhere between one and a thousand. No, I think it's probably close to 40. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I see at least two or maybe three that this 36 is missing. So close to 40 times it says, I am not writing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. That's a lot. It's, it's a whole lot. That's a lot. Yeah, and it, you're right. It, it, never, it never does the kind of strict turn to I am writing this or something. Um, what I would say is that, you know, like this, so that, you know, it's in a kind of prose poem, although there are kind of line breaks, but they're very long so it, it's a little, I, I think of it prosily, um, but there are like paragraphs kind of, or stanzas. Um, and so one thing that I track is like, what is the speaker not writing? And it kind of moves to different things a little bit. Like we begin, we begin with kind of like novels and books. And then we kind of close the first part about memoirs, um, which I think is, is interesting. And then there's this kind of strange and weird, but awesome sentence. Like I am not writing a memoir because memoirs are for property owners and not writing a memoir about prohibitions of memoirs. Um, and there's this kind of like nice moment where she, like she's critiquing the memoir, but then she's like, but I'm not saying no more memoirs <laughs> or something right, like that. Right. Um, like I'm not calling for their prohibition, but they are for property owners. Um, and which I think is in it just kind of 
so and think about that in itself is there's a lot of thinking and thoughts and arguments that are kind of um coming to the surface here already where like memoirs are for property owners is like quite a thing to say um and an interesting like way of thinking about that kind of writing you know what i mean um but anyway like without digging too into that um the next one really goes into poems and then you really get a sense that like <laughs> it was so like funny to read because i was like oh yeah i feel like we've talked about all these kinds of poems on close talking um and it it's like a great overview of different kinds of poems it's like prose poems contemporary otherwise fragments tightened and compressed loosened and conversational conceptual ones with euphonious devices epiphanies documentary poems that are political allusions to critical theory it's like okay and we've like we've talked about carolyn forche and <laughs> we've done that <laughs> yeah right 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 exactly exactly it's like yeah tighten and compressed uh emily dickinson to make a prairie emily dickinson lucid and conversational Roske, like chen 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 yeah definitely um oh my god you could you could you could yeah partly it's just interesting what you get from that both in terms of you're like oh this is a fucking poet you know what i mean like they they she knows her shit like she's like just kind of cataloging not just like four line poems five line poems but like somewhat you know not surface level descriptions of genres of poetry yeah it's really really um, specific yeah it's not like romance poems right exactly yeah <laughs> poems about love poems appropriate for the holiday season poems for fall you know whatever the categories are on the poetry foundation website this is like no actually here's an incredibly specific type of poem um i wish she was not writing poems for fall though that would be amazing um yes. And yeah, so then, so then like, um, so there's like that. And then you get, you know, I'm not writing, leaving the Atosa station. So then, then you get like by Anne Boyer, you kind of, um, at least I feel like I get a sense of like what it's a, in some ways it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of reveal uh, um part part of how it's interesting to me is that it is revealing turn by turn parts of the speaker um but there's something more to it which is which is that it is about and it's like kind of obvious but it's like it's about writing or like what writing is or is for in a way and what it can't do or what it can do and it's like what's the point kind of thing where like by then by bringing up like leaving the atosha station by Anne boyer as this kind of you know which is like one of the recent kind of popular hallmarks of like contemporary fiction that is 
sort of like self-reflexive, there's this kind of like self-jab in the same way that it's jabbing at the wider literature that it's like participating in, if that makes sense. Um, but then there's also like, would like to write debt. And then though I'm not writing also the German ideology, which I just learned up and is like by like Engels and Marx. And so we have a clear like debt, which like, like David Graeber was like part of like Occupy Wall Street and he was like a self-proclaimed like anarchist and leftist. And so there's a clear like political orientation that we're learning about <laughs> the the Anboyer. As we get to the next parts, the kind of progression enough to the kind of the list, the anaphora of the I am not writing has like developed itself enough um, to have kind of like a form that is, it's like in existence in the reader's head in a way. And that is kind of fun. And I think is fun for Anne Boyer and the speaker. Cause like you get like, I am not writing epic poetry, although I like what Milton said about lyric poets drinking wine while epic poets should drink water from a wooden bowl. I would like to drink wine from a wooden bowl or drink water from an empty bottle of wine. And it's like, okay, like that's fun, you know? And like, also like the kind of, the other thing that I think emerges is like the central kind of like conceit of the whole thing of the I am not doing this while listing things then while while writing what I'm not writing it's like the inversion or, or reversal itself is like fun and like generative for Boyer and you get the same sense of that with the like drinking wine from a wooden bowl or drinking water from a bottle of wine where there's like this kind of flip-flop of things. The way that I was thinking about it is like, if you set up a little thing, like I am not writing and then I'm writing, it's like, like there's sort of like, it's like a trick, but then it's like a little, it's like a little uh, pick that's like chips away at some rock and you use the sharpness of the, I am not writing, writing to like chip away. And then you're the whole poem is like digging somewhere with the direction that the writer is trying to go with that pick uh, is like what's kind of interesting, I think. Um, and then like obviously Boyer is like constantly looking at the pick herself and being like, wow, what a strange pick I don't have. Then we kind of get to like there's the writer as the thing that they've written. And then there's kind of, as we talked about the writer as like a person who is writing and is in a world and has people who are like sending them annoying things or like lovely things. And so then like what emerges is like, Oh, it's a writer in the world. And it's like, I am not writing anything that anyone has requested of me. It's like, okay. So now, now we're learning about Boyer. Like, like it's like, ah, Okay, I need to have some interview responses or like someone was like, please submit writing prompts for young writers. They would like to know what Boyer has to say. And that's kind of 
interesting and and is a just another layer of like you can see this person a little more fully and and i think you also get a sense of that too with the like new inquiry and triple canopy like those are obviously like inside baseball references to some extent where it's like if you're in the world of of a certain kind of writing then you know what the new inquiry is i guess um whereas if you don't then it's just like okay those do give you some kind of information so i think that's kind of like my general sense and then i do think a lot is kind of riding on this last moment um yeah it does feel like it kind of builds to that point a little bit that last stanza basically yeah I am not writing a history of these times or of past times or of any future times and not even the history of these visions, which are with me all day and all of the night, which feels like those visions are almost everything that has been in the poem before that moment where you have her thinking about all of these things she's not writing, which in some cases are things that somebody else has already written. And I think that's a natural impulse for a lot of people who write where it's like, oh, my. either the feeling of like, oh, I wish I'd written that or like, I was going to write that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to write about debt, but now they've already done it perfectly. And damn, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> you know, David, God, David, you, you did it. You did it so well, David, David, uh, but, and it's really, I think it's also a really interesting ending, particularly thinking about the work that she did go on to write that in a lot of ways is a history of these times and of past times and of times to come. Yeah. Because it's a prophetic work about health and capitalism and the disposability of those who suffer illness in a capitalist system and it it becomes a, a line that grows in meaning because of what has happened since for sure. I think that's, that's really right on. Cause I think it's like to go on with what you're saying, like the visions, there's a kind of like, and this is something that I feel too. And I'm kind of partly why I'm drawn to this is I'm, I'm the most repeated thing I say to Sarita is like, I'm not writing. Well, no, I, <laughs> I just, I, if only I had a little bit more time, <laughs> or, yes. I just really wish I had some more time. Yes. Um, what about 25 hours a day? Yeah, it Have would we be thought about 25 or 26. Exactly. Um, it's like a constant thing. Um, and I think like, I basically, I, I really agree with you in terms of the visions that these things that she's not writing are accumulating like within her and and you sort of feel that like all of these things are kind of weights upon her life um and i i think that happens for a lot of writers a lot of folks or just for people who write i think that's a pretty common experience where I will take a walk and I get ideas and that happens enough times. I know that I have 10,000 words worth of ideas on a certain subject or more. Like I, all the dots are connected in my head. I have it all there, but I would have to sit down and actually write that at some point. 
written and then I'd have to revise it a whole bunch to make sure that what I wrote and all those connections that I can feel and see those visions in my head of the sort of bright line that connects this to this other thing, to this other thing, to this other thing, which you get a sense of in the title of her Pulitzer prize winning book, how many different things yeah. she is connecting and the really like that kind of writing is so not just difficult to do, but difficult to do successfully. Like you can do that, but right. a lot of times it ends up being something that is impenetrable or it's really theory heavy or whatever. But there are some writers who manage to condense all of that stuff down into, you know, you see those connections between those seemingly disparate things, or at least a lot of different things as almost inevitable because of the craft and the writing. It's like, oh yeah, of course all of this is connected in the way you told me it is because you connected it so seamlessly. And those, I, I feel like that is the visions. That's where I resonate the most with the visions where it's like, yes, as a matter of fact, in my head, I see the connection between Donald Trump's Muslim ban and a Mavis Staples concert from 2008 and Roger Federer winning the 2017 Australian Open. It's all the same thing. <laughs> but I would have to sit down and I've tried to write that. I've written yeah. many thousands of words trying to explain that and I haven't done it well yet. Right. Maybe I will at some point, but maybe not. <laughs> but a lot of the time I'm walking around and I see it up up here yeah 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 that's <laughs> i have i have at times been writing about that but a lot more of the time i'm not writing about that even though there's a document in my computer somewhere with like sixteen thousand words of failure so <laughs> <laughs> you know that's like yeah and i've got that for several other things where it's like yeah that thing and that thing and that thing but those visions in my head need to get connected dots on a page and that's a whole other thing yeah no that's really right and the other thing that i think about with what you have been saying and with the end of this piece and i guess with the piece is like i was thinking about like on the one hand i'm i am kind of always like i need more time need more time but then on the other hand, like when I'm like when I am writing, <laughs> um, it's like, you know, if I'm right, if I'm like writing or revising a poem, like I can spend like, you know, hours at one time thinking about like 20 words on a page. Right. And just like kind oh, yeah. of tr turning oh, those over. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not it's like that's not time it's not time in the same sense like if i were to think about it in the same way it wouldn't compute it's like why would you spend eight hours with 20 words if you can write five thousand words in eight hours or whatever like and and when she says in the next piece like not writing is working it's but the the other way of thinking about that is writing is is not working um in a certain sense where like true the true writing which is sort of like by by the progression of this poem incredibly hard to get 
and have and be within is like a kind of effort, but it's not work in the sense of a kind of like capitalist work or like a work culture thing where like your time has a value of money and kind of thing. Um, and the, the thing, the, the other part of like that, which I think is interesting, which, um, one of the pieces in, um, a handbook of disappointed fate is called no. <laughs> um, and it's more of an essay, but it's kind of about refusals and also poets and stuff. It, it becomes clear that, uh, Boyer is, is very interested in things that are against and not, and no. Um, and to me, there's like a sense that writing is sort of a, is, is a refusal of like work and capitalism, I guess, um, in, in a certain sort of sense. Um, that's very, that is constantly constrained and, and, and kind of like, um, I haven't read the undying. It's something that I really want to read. Um, but I think the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about as, as you've talked about too, of like kind of with, cause I, I've, I know I've recommended the, the death panel podcast, um, before and, and there was a recent, and I've also, I think recommended, um, different things by Ruth Wilson Gilmore. There's a recent episode on death panel where she, uh, Beatrice, the host interviews Ruth Wilson Gilmore and they have some kind of common strains of thought. And it's really fascinating. But one, one thing that Gilmore says a lot about prisons is that they are basically extracting time from people. And that when you're incarcerated, they're just putting your life somewhere. And then you, you spend your life there in, in the prison. And then from that time, Gilmore says and and argues and sort of documents because she's like a a geographer um, is that from that time, there's money that can be made that basically like the state has, you know, what she I haven't sort of read all of her first and sort of seminal work, Golden Gulag, um, which is about like the rise of mass incarceration, the carceral state in California. But like, basically, one of her arguments is that um, California and the country at, you know, the 70s and the 80s had certain surpluses, like they had surplus people who like weren't, quote unquote, productive. It's like why you think of like deindustrialization is like, okay, we don't need these people to do these jobs because we can exploit other people elsewhere, you know. Um, to do them, but then we still have these people and then we have surplus space. Okay. We have all this land that we don't need um, and all these kinds of things. And then that, so it's like, what is the state to do with those surpluses? Okay. Incarceration, because that takes surplus populations. It takes surplus land. It takes other surpluses. um, And then it puts them to use 
Um, and from that, it creates sort of a carceral economy um, from which sort of, you know, prison guards and other prison staff and all these people then become employed in the business of extracting time from those people, basically, um, which is a very long and lengthy explanation. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. Um, but then there's all there that this connects to kind of what um, death panel often talks about and um, and like with disability and with sickness and illness is this kind of situation for capitalism where you are a worker who can't work in a productive way. And so that means you're basically a surplus. So um, like what the kind of the term that Gilmore has sort of used for prisons is like organized abandonment where it's like, okay, we can't use you anymore. So we're going to put you in this prison. It, it's like, we're going to get rid of you, but in a organized way. Um, and similarly, like the, the policies of sort of both administrations throughout the COVID pandemic have been a version of like the death panel argues. And that I tend to agree with a form of more or less organized abandonment where you have certain populations, um, disabled populations, elderly populations, you know, nursing homes, and also like people on the margins, people of color, black people, indigenous people, et cetera, um, who are all who have already been surplus in a certain sense and therefore don't have the same value. And if you can create a situation in which we can just let it rip, that's one way of dealing with um, <laughs> those populations, given the kind of the situation that we're in now with a pandemic that is continues to be very, very deadly. Um, but what that means, it's kind of like horrific and grim and talking about it in that way sometimes sounds very clinical for me because that is kind of how it's being approached. But it's also the sense of like, even if you're able bodied and you are working, it's like, that's what's keeping you from, <laughs> from like accelerated death. You know what I mean? Cause that's kind of like what Gilmore talks about. And it's like, if you are in a prison, like you're being exposed to premature death, basically. And another way of saying that is your time is out. Like you're running out of time. And so then I think like, and this is like a, a particularly privileged vantage that I am coming from, like as a person who is working and is has like access to capital and can pay to prolong my life in various ways or whatever. Um, but it's this kind of like fight um, against like, to me, that's that's how time itself becomes the thing where it's like I have to spend my time or a bunch of my time being productive to continue to have my life valued in a way that will give me time, more time. But that means that my life is spent 
<laughs> not writing <laughs> to return to the poem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and like I'm in the most sort of like privileged category where it's like I had the opportunity to like go to a MFA that was fully funded in which my time can be spent actually writing for th three years or whatever. And now I'm like a book editor. And so I'm I'm like making school library books and I'm writing and I'm editing and I'm like learning and I'm in the field of creative stuff. Um, and then at the same time, it's like it's still in some ways I feel like I'm I'm you partly I'm using like the accumulated time that like my parents and like my family have like gotten for me in a way by like virtue of my upbringing and all that sorts of thing. And then also I'm still like, well, shit, it's like these fucking books have to come out every season and we got to make a bunch of them and they can't be super amazing because I can't spend that long. Like I'm the, okay. The second thing that I'm spending that I'm saying to Sarita is like, well, I got behind again at work cause I got a little too in the weeds on Da, da, da. And it's like, and it's exactly the kind of thing that is sort of like against <laughs> capitalism for me. Cause I'm like, well, I could say the generic thing that reinforces the uh, bad tropes about climate change communication that they're just pumping out through the Google searches that are like, why are all these freelancers writing about carbon capture when it's clearly bullshit? And it's like, they're not like drinking Exxon's Kool-Aid directly, you know what I mean? But it's like, that's just, okay, if you're on a deadline, you're like, do, 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 climate solutions. It's like carbon capture is fucking top of the list. Or they have an apparatus for PR that reaches all the right ears and it's exactly. new and different. Why all, it's the same then, way that all of a sudden the same companies suddenly show up as advertising on all of the YouTube videos and TikToks. Yep. Why are they suddenly doing it? Because they're doing influencer marketing. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Like it's it's all part of the, you know, whatever. There's a way to say it that's a conspiracy, and there's a way to say it that's like, where it's marketing, it's profits. It's uh, right, yeah. Expanding which, which our... you know, <laughs> in a lot of cases it is. All of a sudden, why is better help sponsoring all of your favorite content creators on YouTube? Well, because they decided to, and it's yeah. <laughs> not a terrible thing on the face of it. It is a way for people to connect with therapists and whatever. And it's an app and it's doing something new in the space and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Are a lot of people who are in that actual field, not thrilled about it. Also. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> is that something that it's pretty easy to find out about? Sure. Is it what you're going to come across without any effort? No. What you're going to come across while you, you know, watch a big name podcast that mostly does video work on YouTube, or you watch a content creator you like who's mostly liberal, they might have a better help sponsorship. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I, I have to spend a few hours figuring out the legitimate alternatives so that we can put a few hundred words that are not about carbon capture and storage in these fucking books. But then, then I fall behind and then I'm like, meh, 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 meh. and then I get stressed 
and then I get a little less healthy and then I develop, um, you know, maybe it's eczema, maybe it's psoriasis. I don't really know. Turns out people don't know anything about skin inflammations <laughs> because the science isn't that developed. <laughs> don't have a kid's book about that, do we? <laughs> eczema for kids. <laughs> psoriasis for children skin inflammation catalogs for the youth no i mean i think that's very real because like yeah i mean it's it is the it is the challenge and it does directly intersect with time and yeah again to the point that my professor made when i was at columbia journalism school talking about if you want to do certain kinds of writing how do you find time for it and a lot of finding time for it is how do you find money? And a lot of that is then how are you spending time to make money to then spend other time to do the work you really want to do if that is work that is disconnected from money making, which oftentimes a lot of the most important work ends up being. Yeah. And certainly the kind of work that's being described in in this poem, this really deep, creative, artistic writing a lot of times that is almost entirely separate from any kind of capital production or accumulation. You know, yep. you're not making money for publishers doing that kind of work necessarily. And you might not be making a lot of money for yourself, even if you win a Pulitzer. I appreciate that element of this as well, where there are so many things that are not writing and many of them are wonderful and they have so many different flavors and textures to them. And you really explore all of the things that aren't writing. And can you tell that this poem is giving us both a bit of a breakdown? <laughs> I'm totally fine. Yeah, everything no, everything's okay. okay. <laughs> We're doing great. Everything's fine. Um, <laughs> Love and life. I'm Love and life. And relax. Yeah. Vaxxed and vexed over here, but I feel you so strong. Um <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like it it there's a reason that I think most people who are writers who read this poem feel like, oh shit. Yeah. Um yeah. Yep. So should we should we hear it again before we <laughs> completely spiral out of control? Yes, Jack. Uh, oh, it's got to be me. Okay. This is Not Writing by Anne Boyer. When I am not writing, I am not writing a novel called 1994 about a young woman in an office park in a provincial town who has a job cutting and pasting time. I am not writing a novel called Nero about the world's richest art star in space. I am not writing a book called Kansas City Spleen. I am not writing a sequel to Kansas City Spleen called Bitches Maldoror. I am not writing a book of political philosophy called Questions for Poets. I am not writing a scandalous memoir. I am not writing a pathetic memoir. I am not writing a memoir about poetry or love. I am not writing a memoir about poverty, debt collection, or bankruptcy. I am not writing about family court. I am not writing a memoir because memoirs are for property owners and not writing a memoir about prohibitions of memoirs. When I am not writing a memoir, I am also not writing any kind of poetry, not prose poems contemporary 
contemporary or otherwise, not poems made of fragments, not tightened and compressed poems, not loosened and conversational poems, not conceptual poems, not virtuosic poems employing many different types of euphonious devices, not poems with epiphanies, and not poems without, not documentary poems about recent political moments, not poems heavy with allusions to critical theory and popular song. I am not writing Leaving the Atosha Station by Anne Boyer, and certainly not writing Nadja by Anne Boyer, though would like to write Debt by Anne Boyer, though am not writing also the German ideology by Anne Boyer and not writing a screenplay called Spartacists. I am not writing an account of myself more miserable than Rousseau. I am not writing an account of myself more innocent than Blake. I am not writing epic poetry, although I like what Milton said about lyric poets drinking wine, while epic poets should drink water from a wooden bowl. I would like to drink wine from a wooden bowl or to drink water from an emptied bottle of wine. I am not writing a book about shopping, which is a woman shopping. I am not writing accounts of dreams, not my own or anyone else's. I am not writing historical reenactments of any durational literature. I am not writing anything that anyone has requested of me or is waiting on, not a poetics essay or any other sort of essay, not a round table response, not interview responses, not writing prompts for younger writers, not my thoughts about critical theory or popular songs. I am not writing a new constitution for the republic of no history. I am not writing a will or a medical report. I am not writing Facebook status updates. I am not writing thank you notes or apologies. I am not writing conference papers. I am not writing book reviews. I am not writing blurbs. I am not writing about contemporary art. I am not writing accounts of my travels. I'm not writing reviews for the new inquiry and not writing pieces for triple canopy and not writing anything for fence. I am not writing a daily accounting of my reading activities and ideas. I am not writing science fiction novels about the problem of the idea of the autonomy of art and science fiction novels about the problem of a society with only one law, which is consent. I am not writing stories based on Nathaniel Hawthorne's unwritten story ideas. I am not writing online dating profiles. I am not writing anonymous communiques. I am not writing textbooks. I am not writing a history of these times or of past times or of any future times and not even the history of these visions which are with me all day and all of the night. I'm not going to ask you any more about what you are or are not writing. I'm going to ask you what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to. Give me that good knowledge. Let me tell you, Jack, so much happens when you do not write. And um, gives you more time okay. to watch House of the Dragon.
<laughs> I haven't started that yet. Um, I'm waiting. I'm waiting a little bit. It's what better I am than I watching... thought it was going to be. It's not like it's amazing. Whatever. I'm not recommending it. You can watch it if you want to. Do what you want. It's fine. We are not recommending, nor are we not not recommending House of the Dragon. It's fine. House if of the Dragon HBO, is a show. Yeah. It's fine. It, it's, it's fine. fine. If, you, if you have HBO, watch it. I think if you'll, you don't, it's fine. If you don't, and yeah, don't, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. But I just want to say, I had a huge crush on the person who plays adult Rhaenyra before the viral moment that caused the internet to thirst after them. <laughs> that's all I have to, that's my only real House of the Dragon comment. Shoop a doop. Emma you Darcy. Heard it here first, folks. Emma Darcy. Dang. Two big thumbs up. And the wow. Spectrata <laughs> of Prosecco and that. Everybody loves the TikTok where they talk about Negronis, whatever. <laughs> I was already okay. ensorcelled by the acting, okay? Ensorcelled. Yeah. Um, amazing, amazing, and amazing, Negroni. amazing. What Spectrata I am watching is I am not watching anything on TikTok, though I might, but I am not. But I am watching... Thank you, as always, to mom for the recommendation. Yes. Watching the show, Bad Sisters. It is so fun and good. It's on Apple TV. It's it opens with a dead body of a family member. Uh Uh-oh. And then a sister or not a sister? Not a sister, a brother-in-law and a husband who is dead. And um, this is starting to sound a lot like House of the Dragon. And then, (laughs) (laughs) do the sisters like marry each other at some point? Because then it's House of the Dragon. No, no, no. Okay. Um. Anyway, basically, that's how it opens. There is also a desperate. And somewhat sketchy insurance company who is investigating a claim based upon the death. And it follows the sisters. Um, there are five of them. They are very Irish and it is hilarious. And they are not good sisters, but they are also great sisters. (laughs) And um, it's just a delightful and thrilling show. And um, are there like a lot of Irish accents in it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, great. They're Irish Irish. They're not like American Irish. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're, And I think that. I don't know. I don't think all of them are truly Irish, but I think they're all British, and I think most of them are actually Irish. Um, they're like fairly. If you've seen um above the top tier like shows into the next tier of Netflix content, 
then you will have seen these actors on the up and coming um, because they've, I've seen them. I'm speaking for myself, but they're all really good. Um, and it's just a perfect kind of like dark comic show that is both kind of like exciting and real and also like hilarious. But yeah, the first season just concluded 10 episodes. Um, so hopefully they'll make another. I have not yet finished the first season, but I am eight episodes in and it is great. And I highly recommend it. A million stars. A million. That's right. Uh, My Irish TV has been Dairy Girls. I'm finally catching up on that. It's amazing. Oh, I've been meaning to watch that. It's so good. Um, Lots of wonderful Irish accents and just charming, charming situations and also a backdrop of the troubles. And it, it reminds me yet again, another great example of the uh, IRL by Chris Tease line about there are no gritty reboots because it's just gritty all the time. It is such a brilliant illustration of just people uh, living their lives while something nuts is going on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, people just living their lives in violent, politically tumultuous times. And it's yeah. about teens growing up in Ireland during the troubles. And it's so good. Mm. I love that. I'm going to watch that. Um, Jack. Yes. What else? Are you watching and or listening to and or reading or whatever? You're talking about the bad sisters and I'm out here watching Damon Targaryen. We're their ancestral Valyrian steel sword dark sister. So (laughs) what's up now? Uh, No, my real recommendation is a web series that is coming out every Monday on the Grouse House YouTube channel, which is the production company of Australian comedy uh, group Antidonna. And... Previously, I have really enjoyed Hug the Sun, which is a fake children's show made by a fake cult. That's the conceit. It's like discovered on VHS tapes from the 90s. I was showing you clips from the outtakes before we began recording. It's hilarious. It's a cult that believes in the sun god Oxtoss and is afraid of the evil shadow man. But oh, yeah. my, that's it's a great show. It's so weird. But the show that I recommend, <laughs> separate from that, um, is a show we can all agree that we're not super thrilled with Kanye and the things that he does. (laughs) Um, So this show is called is by two Australian comedians, Cameron James and Alexi Taliopoulos. And it is called finding Jesus who made Kanye quest 3030. And it's like, kind of a true crime thing but not really and they're trying to find out who made this video game that came out in uh like 2013 that went mildly viral wow called kanye quest 3030 and (laughs) it follows them as they investigate it and it's hilarious and weird and silly and i love it and there's three episodes out so far so finding this I yeah, check it out. All the episodes are like ten to fifteen minutes long. And awesome. They're hilarious. And I guess Rings of Power and House of the Dragon and She Hulk Attorney at Law is good too. Everybody check it out. Everybody's mad about it for no apparent reason. It's a fun show. Check it out. It's fun. The other day I was 
looking up how to make vegan croissants and I had the thought, hurry up with my damn croissant. And then I felt really bad that I was thinking about that. And I was like, fucking A, Kanye. They're saying worse shit by the day. Yeah, I'm. I am perfectly happy to have my only engagement with him be this weird Australian <laughs> comedy documentary about a video That's game. The way that was to not do it by him that bore his name and was on the internet and possibly ties into a transhumanist cult. This is co-host Jack Roster Munley. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, five stars maybe. Those reviews help with the algorithm and are a great way for us to find new listeners. And you can put anything in them. You can write whatever you want. You can just say, oh, this is a good podcast. I like this podcast. You could be like, hey, that Connor guy, he makes a lot of good points. Uh, Jack, why is he doing this outro so long? You know, get him off the mic. Whatever you feel like writing, head on over there. Five stars. Drop in the review. Uh, do you have thoughts about this poem? Is there a poem or poet you'd like us to cover on a future episode? Well, we'd love to hear from you. And there are tons of ways that you can get in touch with us. I mean, I guess you could drop it into an iTunes review. You could be like, five stars. Hey, why don't you talk about insert name of poet here? Um, but you can also send us an email. That's probably the best way to do it. Poetry at gmail.com is our email address. Or you can find us on Twitter. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. And the show is at Close Talking. On Instagram, you can find us there too. Uh, we are at Close Talking Poetry, and we are on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Close Talking. We haven't gotten to TikTok yet, and we might never. Who knows? Anything is anything is possible. Um, speaking of all those social media platforms, a very special thank you to our incredible social media manager, Corey China, who keeps us active across the internet. And a thank you to all of you for listening. We will see you next time.